Hey, Heat Nation. Welcome back to Heat is Gonna Heat, part of the OTG Podcast Network. I still thank you for checking in. I'm your host, Kyle Russell. Still here to chat a little bit about our favorite NBA team, the Miami Heat, who suffered a bit of a brutal loss uh, Saturday night to the Boston Celtics, losing Game 6, forcing Game 7 for winner-takes-all tonight. Uh, as usual, we'll recap Game 6 and all the emotional trauma that came with it, and then look ahead to Game 7 tonight and cross our fingers. First, we go back Saturday at Miami, losing while hosting the Celtics 103-104, to 104, a razor-thin margin that literally came down to fractions of a second at the end of the game. For the rotations, Miami would go eight deep with Gabe Vincent back, Caleb Martin starting in place of Kevin Love, and no minutes for Love or Haywood Highsmith. I thought that was particularly interesting, considering Haysmith played a lot in Game 5, apparently not well enough, so he ended up outside the rotation, Miami cutting it down to bare bones to try to win this in six. Uh, Cody Zeller did play a few minutes as well. He rounded out the rotation at eight. But literally, it was a few minutes. We'll get to that a little bit later on. With Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Gabe Vincent, and Caleb Martin all playing 40-plus minutes for the Miami Heat. So again, like the, the sense of urgency was there from the way that they cut down the rotation and then just played heavy minutes to arguably their best players in this series. For the Celtics side of things, they still went eight deep as well. Though their sixth man of the year, Malcolm Brogdon, was a late scratch with it was like an elbow forearm injury. There's been a little bit of confl- conflicting reports on what exactly the injury is, but point there being was he was out. Sam Hauser for them played all of two minutes to round out the rotation to eight. And then for them, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, and Derek White played 40-plus minutes. So also Boston playing heavy minutes to some of their best players. Jalen Brown actually just barely ducked under that. It was like 38, 39 minutes. So he was getting up there as well, obviously. As for the recap, we go back first quarter. Back and forth first quarter sees the game tied at 20 before Boston gets on on a very small, just like, I don't even know if you can necessarily call it a run. It was only six points, but it was a 6-0 run that got them at least a holdable lead, like a little bit of distance. Celtics still up five after the first quarter. Not a great start for Miami. In the second, it got a little bit worse. Jason Tatum just got to the lane at will, whether that was, and then whether it would be finishing at the rim or drawing fouls off of Miami, just kept uh, the Celtics offense afloat in a in a game that was very much getting down into a rock fight. Miami's deficit got as high as 11 in the second quarter, and yet they were able to chip it down to two. Again, no major runs, just uh, like, you know, get some free throws here, trade a three for a two there kind of thing. Chipped it down to two, but Jason Tatum hit a few free throws to keep the Celtics up four at halftime. So, again, a bit of a rock fight game. Miami's still behind, but keeping it close. This is the formula we have seen plenty of times throughout this season. Third quarter, Miami could not buy a basket, though. I think they shot, like, below 20%. Lead hovering around four to eight for most of the first half of the third until about halfway through. Then Boston got out on a 9-0 run. To go up 13, started to get a little tense. Miami, though, closing out the third quarter on a 7-1 run to only be down 7 going into the fourth. And then, as you can imagine, for a Celtics Heat game, the fourth got a little interesting. Heat opened up the fourth quarter on an 11-3 run, taking a brief lead for the first time since the first quarter, but the Celtics countered with an 8-0 run of their own to go back up 
and then pushed it a little bit further. Celtics with their lead as high as 10 points with five minutes left. The perfect opportunity for another Miami Heat comeback. And sure enough, from there, Miami grinds it down. It comes down to Jimmy Butler getting fouled in the corner by Al Horford. Jimmy doing a phenomenal job of keeping his feet behind the line as he rises up for an, uh, a shot attempt. So he goes to the line for three free throws. We are down two at this point. Jimmy nails all three. Puts the heat up one by some just... It, it, it's literally like, you almost just couldn't even believe it at the time. I was like, how are we up in this game? All we needed is, and Jimmy said it himself in the huddle after this, one stop. One stop to go to the finals. Derek White is inbounding the ball. They try to get a Jason Tatum, but the Heat do a good job doubling Tatum as he's moving around. So instead, Derek White sends it out to Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart turns around and takes just like a turnaround three that just rims out. And there's a little bit of a sense of relief until Derek White, who, remember, inbounder, runs to the corner, sees the shot go up, starts running to the glass. He catches the ball with literal fractions of a second and puts the ball up with point one second left. It goes in. Miami loses 104-103. Devastating. Just literally that close to the finals and it just got snatched away and that Derek White shot is where I want to start the takeaways for the game not not that I think that there was really much of anything Miami could have done Rewatching the play and listening to other people break down the play for the most part everybody kind of did what they were supposed to do uh Max Drews arguably the defender on Derek White but Derek White inbounding the ball. Max Struess is playing off of him and trying to see where the ball is going to go. That's how Max Struess ends up doubling Tatum and preventing the ball going to Tatum. From there, though, Max Struess has to try to sprint to the corner. And as he's getting to the corner, oh, he sees Derek White is cutting to the rim. It's just not enough time for him to get to get over there. And then, of course, you know, there's a dozen different ways that that shot could have rimmed out. I mean, well, smart shot could have just gone in and that would have been the game. Uh, or it could have rimmed out or rebounded or ricocheted any of a dozen or two or three dozen different ways that either don't go to Derek White or don't give him enough time to gather and get that shot up. Like that, That's literally how close it was. But the, the other thing I wanted to bring up about that is Derek White did some Michael Jordan shit. Like, literally. That is not a hyperbole. That is literally. He became the second player in NBA history to hit a game-winning buzzer beater when facing elimination and his team trailed prior to the shot. The only other time, the first player to do that, Michael Jordan, 1989 Cavaliers. It is literally called the shot. That is the kind of thing that knocked Miami out game six, which, you know, in a weird way, like almost comforts me in a little bit of a way, right? Like, we didn't go down on just some crazy, you know, bogus whatever. Like, we went down because something historic happened where the only other instance comparable to this was Michael Jordan. That seems like a, a reasonable takeaway for me. After that, though, the, the other big gigantic takeaway from this game is this what game was decided based upon the star players for the teams. Jimmy and Bam versus the Jays on the Celtics. And Jimmy Butler, 24 points, 11 rebounds, 8 assists on, here's the bad parts, 5 of 21 from the field, 
two of four from three is not bad. Twelve of fourteen from the from the free throw line is not bad. But for Jimmy in particular, fifteen of those twenty four points came in the fourth quarter. Or to rephrase it, Jimmy only had nine points through three quarters. This was a bad Jimmy Butler game until he managed to just turn it on in the fourth. And to his credit, it was still enough. He got us a one-point lead. That was literally all we needed to win the game. And had the Derek White thing not happened, Jimmy Butler is the savior of this game for what he did. But there were opportunities in the first three quarters that he could have provided more, and therefore we wouldn't have gotten to this situation to begin with. Same with Bam Adebayo. 11 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists on 4 of 16 from the field, 3 of 4 from free throw range. I can't tell if the, if the exhaustion is getting to Bam. A lot of his shots looked short, but there were also, again, a lot of them that were makeable. And he did not need to make many of them in order for this to, to not be a game. So, combined Jimmy and Bam, 35 points on 9 of 37 from the field, and 15 of 18 from the free throw line. The free throw part is, is the good part, obviously, 9 of 37, that's less than 25% from the field. And that's compared to Jason Tatum, 31 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists on 8 of 22 from the field, 0 of 8 from 3-point range, but 15 of 15 from the free throw line. And for Jason Tatum in particular, the bulk of his points, I think it was like 24 of his 31, came in the first half. So Miami did a much better job, for the most part, shutting him down almost entirely in the second half. Like, I think nothing in the third for him and like six points in the fourth, something like that. And then Jalen Brown. Brown actually was the one that had the good efficiency night. 26 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists, uh, 9 of 16 from the field, 0 of 4 from 3-point range, though, uh, 8 of 10 from the free throw line. So combined for the Celtic Stars, combined 57 points on 17 of 38 from the field and 23 of 25 from the free throw line. Just the free throw di- from the field is the game. Jimmy and Bam... 9 of 37, Tatum and Brown, 17 of 38. That's the game. If Miami matches them, this is arguably a double-digit win as Miami goes to the finals. The historic shot by Derek White is the first big takeaway. The play of Jimmy and Bam was the second one. Uh, Just some other takeaways to round this out as well, real quick. Cody Zeller did what I guess you could probably call as the second coming of Dwayne Dedman arguably losing us a game with a minus seven in two minutes of play in the first quarter. And where that was really significant, though, he came in when the game was tied 20 in the first quarter, which, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, that was when the Celtics started to go on a run and actually built themselves a little bit of a comfortable lead. Celtics attacked him over... I rewatched it this morning, actually, just to make sure. But the Celtics did attack him over and over, whether that was directly or by trying to put him in compromised positions so that like a Rob Williams could get offensive rebounds easier. And that was enough for the Celtics to get their first sizable lead of the game that they would then hold until the fourth quarter. Now, the counter-argument to this is, is fairly easy. This happened in the first quarter. There was a second and third and a fourth quarter where Zella did not play that that could have swung the other way around. But it, it became very apparent in the first quarter that Bam Adebayo would have to play the remainder of the game, and Zeller, so maybe that plays into Bam's fatigue and him coming up short on his shot. After Zeller, though, next big takeaway, Miami winning or coming close on just about all the other major battles that have that have impacted this series in particular. So Miami won three-point shooting. 
They went 14 of 30 from three-point range, good for 47%, compared to Boston's 7 of 35, 20%. They lost this game when the Celtics shot 20% from three. That is so egregious. But why? Little side note, Miami shot 35% from the field for the game. Yes, they shot worse from the field than they did from three-point range. And that is because of how bad Miami was at scoring in the paint, which brings us back to Jimmy and Bam's bad performance because they are the players that primarily score in the paint for the Heat while the role players space the floor. After that, though, Miami won the turnover battle 5-12, to so only committing five turnovers for the game. Great job by them. And then one points off of turnovers, 11-6. to So that battle has typically gone in Miami's favor and usually it's an indicator that they win. Again, they got really close tonight if, if other things had gone their way. Uh, for the rebounding battle, they tied 47-47 on the boards, though when you break it down into offense versus defense, Miami won offensive rebounding 17-12, to but kept it close, but ultimately failed to win second chance points 12-16. to So Miami getting more offensive rebounds and more opportunities for second chance points, but ultimately coming up less than the Celtics. That, that also could have been a potential pain point that Miami could have done better on. But Miami has not been a great second-chance uh, points team all year, so that part I don't really hold too much against them. Uh, after that, supporting casts. Miami arguably won the supporting cast battle, having four double-digit scorers outside of Jimmy and Bam to Boston's three double-digit scorers outside of uh, Tatum and Brown. So, And this was a great game for Miami's role players. I mean, even... Even the broadcasting staff themselves were cracking jokes throughout the game about how if Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, and Caleb Martin can get some help from Jimmy and Bam. So, like, it was that obvious uh, how, how good Miami's role players were that night. Uh, last one for this part. They still kept it close on the free throw battle. Miami 23-29 to Boston's 29-34. of 34. Uh, I do understand on Twitter... There is a lot of officiating stuff going out right now. I would say that, at best, it was inconsistent. There were times in the game where Boston was getting just about every call. There were parts in the game where Miami was getting just about every call. So, like, I think the start of the third quarter, they got into the bonus with, like, after, like, three or four minutes, something like that. It's pretty quickly. Because Miami was, was getting calls. And yes, they were forcing it uh, at the beginning of the third as well. But just to say that this was not a game where Miami did not get any calls at all. I can agree that it was inconsistent. And personally, I think that is the worst thing that you can do in an NBA game is be inconsistent. But the here's to take it back a moment. Here, here's ultimately the problem. One, the problem with, with complaining about officiating in general. It doesn't change the outcome of the game. The, the NBA could have come up with a last two-minute report and said that Miami got screwed out of 15 free throws. They're not going back and playing it. It, it soothes maybe our, our emotions of the situation, and that's definitely valuable, but just got to remember that ultimately you can't go back and change this game. Ask the Houston Rockets, or more specifically, ask Daryl Morey. The, it do, complaining about the officiating does not change the outcome of the game. And then the other part more specific to this game, is it would not have mattered if Jimmy and Bam had been able to knock down shots in the paint throughout the, the early parts of the game. Because they would have been up by double digits, and it wouldn't have mattered, and Miami would have been cruising to the finals, and we would have completely forgotten about any of the crazy or ridiculous calls 
that that we felt went against Miami in Game Six. Ultimately, though, I I would just phrase it as this: both things can be true that the refs are screwed Miami in this game, and that Jimmy and Bam played badly, and that both of those contributed to Miami losing. Both of those can be true. Only one of those is in Miami's control. That's the play of Jimmy and Bam. So that's why I, that's why I put the emphasis there. As much as I obviously love those players, because they are the stars of this Heat team, that means they get held to a higher standard. So that's why I put the onus on them. I don't really care too much for the officiating talk. The end of the day, though, the 3-0 lead for Miami is now tied 3-3. This is a winner-takes-all Game 7 tonight. Let's talk a little bit about Game 7 now. First off, for the injury report, as usual, um, no updates on Tyler Hero yet. There's no way he plays Game 7 tonight, uh, which would truly be sad. Just as a side note real quick, uh, Tyler Hero injured Game 1 of the first round, works his ass off to come back, is so close to coming back, and then Miami could potentially lose Game 7 tonight, and that would we just wouldn't have seen Tyler Hero for much of all in the, in the 2023 postseason. But hopefully Miami wins and he can come back in the NBA Finals. But for tonight, he won't be there. Gabe Vincent, questionable with ankle injury tonight. I think that might be a, a little bit of, like, information warfare. I am fairly certain Gabe Vincent plays tonight, barring, like, he literally can't. And if he literally can't, Miami's going to be in a lot of trouble. So I really hope he can. And then on the Celtics side of things, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, questionable for them with the ankle forearm injury. Could also be a little bit kind of like same thing, right? Let's do a little information warfare. Maybe he plays, maybe he doesn't. Uh, for the most part, Celtics were able to survive without him. Now for the game itself. Game 7 at Boston tonight. Win and go to the NBA Finals. The Miami's historic playoff run continues to the final stage. Or lose and make the worst kind of NBA history being the first team to blow a 3-0 lead. I mean, if you want high stakes, I think that's about as high stakes as you can get, actually. I guess barring actually being in the finals. But uh, So, Miami lost Game 6. What can they really do to adjust for Game 7? So, in general, my philosophy when it comes to Game 7s is by the time you get there, both teams more or less know each other, know what they need to do to win. I mean, by definition, each team has beaten the other three times, so they know generally what their win conditions are. And then it just kind of comes down to execution, grip, and, you know, those intangible things that that make it kind of fun to watch. But I do still think there are some things Miami could try out to adjust for Game 7. First up, Bam's probably going to have to play all 48. Like, the, the Zeller minutes were catastrophic, in, in such a tight game. And there's pretty much only one or two solutions to that. Either you play Bam all 48 minutes, so then there's no center minutes for, for Zoller. But counter-argument, looks like Bam might be breaking down over the course of the series, so got to kind of gauge that, gauge his energy level as the game goes on. Uh, or you do it the other way, where you just don't play Zeller in particular, and my argument would be you put out Kevin Love and try to find a few minutes, specifically, I think, with Rob Williams, just because uh, I think that's a better matchup for Kevin Love to go up against, mainly because on the offensive end, Kevin Love can try to pull Rob Williams away from the paint and at least keep Miami's offense afloat 
though Love will be giving up on the defensive end. Like, that was a problem with Zeller. Zeller not, was not giving anything for Miami on the offensive end and was getting attacked on the defensive end. At the very least, Love could could provide something that could balance out that balance that out while still getting bam some rest so that maybe love is like a minus one or a minus two in a few minutes rather than the minus seven that zeller was and the reason why i say rob williams in specific is uh typically he plays more of a backup center he on the offensive end he's normally by the basket so love can stay with him by the basket and just try to be the defensive rebounder, outlet passer that that love has brought to us at times in the playoffs, and also you know limit what Robert Williams can do on the offensive glass. And then on the other end, when when Rob Williams is on the defense, you know you put Kevin Love in the corner. Rob Williams has to respect that corner shot, or maybe you bring Love up into like a pick and roll, so Rob Williams has to go up. Just, just to get him outside the paint, essentially. Because with Kevin Love, you can play five out, and that really puts some strain on Rob Williams staying near the paint. That's my pitch for that, though. Um, next potential adjustment could be getting some minutes for Haywood Highsmith. I thought he played really well game five. He played like 36 minutes, played really well. I picked him as the starter so that way Caleb Martin could keep his bench roll, uh, though that went up going the other way. But not seeing him at all coming off the bench, especially when there was some time he could have spelled for Jimmy or Caleb Martin or or even Bam. Like, we have seen Highsmith at the five lineups. I think they weren't great, but we have seen Highsmith at the five lineups uh, throughout the regular season. Maybe you bust that out now and, and try to do a five out but while also keeping multiple defenders out there that could switch on to Tatum or Brown. Because I think that's where Highsmith could have his biggest impact if he gets minutes is playing solid defense on Tatum, Brown, any of the other wing players that the Celtics have to, to help rest Martin and Jimmy for the closing minutes. That all said, I could also see a situation where Eric Spolster is looking at this going, A, the stakes are too high and this player is too raw, and B, we're just at the point. Like Usually game six and seven, you're, you're trimming your rotation down like seven, eight players max because you're just playing your best players as many minutes as you can so from there highsmith might not be able to break in right so we already know uh we're going to get duncan robinson and kyle lowry off the bench you know provided that we still have the same starting five of um bam martin Struess, vincent uh jimmy so we know those seven and then the question would be does spostra stay with that seven or does he extend it to eight if he extends it to eight, who's that going to be? Would it be like a Kevin Love to spell Bam for a few minutes? Or would it be a Highsmith, you know, to spell some minutes for, for Jimmy and Martin instead? That's about it I have in terms of adjustments. Uh, I will throw out, just before we leave today, some keys to the game for tonight. Um, controlling the turnover battle, that's been consistent throughout this series. Miami had a really great opportunity in large part because they dominated the turnover battle 5-12. to 12. And that also means... You know, getting uh, forcing the Celtics into turnovers, trying to generate steals off of them, or catch them in offensive fouls, things like that. That goes both ways. Limit the Celtics in transition, whether off of misses, makes, or turnovers. You, you know, regardless of the situation, Boston wants to get down and attack the basket before Miami can set their defense. So, again, whether off of makes, whether off of misses, whether off of turnovers get back and try to limit the transition game that the, the Celtics are going to try to implement. That's second key. Third key, make enough threes just, just to keep the offense afloat. 
another consistent key throughout this series has just been three-point shooting. Miami had a huge advantage in game five, uh, six, and again, that almost went to winning the game. They had huge advantages in previous games as well that they won, like game one and game three. See if you can bring it one more time for tonight. Uh, last key to the game, Jimmy Butler, attack from the start and go for a 40 bomb. Like we've typically seen when Jimmy Butler, again, usually has a good 40 bomb a series. When he does that, though, he attacks early in the first, he picks his spots to the second and third, and then he's warmed up and ready to go to close out the fourth. I want to see that tonight. <laughs> that that would be Miami's best chance for winning. Is just an unstoppable Jimmy Butler performance. That's all I got. Win, lose, I will be back tomorrow to recap what happens tonight. Hopefully you can join me, and it's a happy occasion. And if it's not, well... That'll be fine. Life goes on. That's that's the good part about this just being sports. But I do really want the Heat to win tonight, please. I do thank you for hanging around today. That'll be all for this episode. Please, if you can, follow the pod at Heaters Heating and myself at Kyle underscore B underscore Russell. Also, check out the other great pods we have at OTG Basketball. I'm sure the Celtics Live podcast will be doing some coverage tonight as well. Uh, hopefully, they're a little bit sadder than we are. Sorry, I'm going to be greedy just this one time. Links for everything are in the show notes, as usual. I'll be back tomorrow. So until then, enjoy Memorial Day. Have a great one, Heat Nation.